0: Today on Blue 58, for the second year in a row, the Packers open free agency with a spending spree. This one's a little bit different, though. Brian Gutekunst is going bargain shopping. Blue 58! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Muirdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Boy, two free agent signings for the Packers right off the bat. We will dive into that into a second. I want to get to a couple other things first. First first, 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 the very first thing I want to talk about is uh, buying a book for the Blue 58 Book Club. I figure we will start talking through Take Your Eye Off the Ball 2.0 next Thursday. So not this coming Thursday, the one after that. We'll talk through the first chapter. So if you're interested in participating in that, go ahead and buy the book now. I will throw a link into the show notes uh, for you to check out there. I've had a couple of you reach out already, say you've got your book. So if you want to start reading Go ahead. Uh, we'll talk through it one chapter a week to let anybody wants to read along, read along. So we will do that. Secondly, I wanted to talk for a second about the new collective bargaining agreement. Haven't had a chance to sort through it, but uh, late last week I tweeted out the document that the players were going to be voting on. So if you want to take a look at that, I would recommend doing it. For a shorter look at what this actually means, I'd encourage you to take a look at Tom Silverstein's article, Seven Things in the New CBA That Are Going to Affect the Packers, or something like that. The title's not super important. He does work through seven things that are going to affect the Packers. And I think if you read it, you get a good idea sort of what what the players gave up and what they got back. Because, well, a couple things are true about about negotiations. You got to give up something to get to the end goal. And the end goal for both sides here is to play football games. That's how the money is generated, that they are dividing up here. Second thing that I think is true here is that this is a lot for the players, at least, like going to the casino. The house is always going to win. No matter how long you stay at the table, eventually the money is going to come back to the casino. The owners are going to win out, and I think the owners are going to win out because they get to shoot at a moving target from a stationary position. The moving target they're shooting at is the group of players. This group of players is always changing. Every 10 years, the group of players they're negotiating with is different than the guys they were talking to the last time around, but how many owners are the same as the last time we went through the CBA process in 2011? The vast majority are the same they can get entrenched, they can play the long game. The players got to take what they can get right now to get anything from the owners. And it seemed, to me at least, reading through what Tom wrote, reading through some of the high-level stuff about the CBA, that the players caved on having the 17th game, starting as early as 2021, caved on that extra game in the playoffs, in exchange for having lighter practices and letting the league do away with marijuana testing. And I don't want to take a position on the drug testing stuff, but it seems like that's what the players wanted to get out of this or thought they could get out of this. And it seems like they gave up quite a bit to get those things. I would really encourage you to read through that article. Take a look at the CBA because it's going to give you a better idea of of how things are really going to shake out over the next 10 years, because I think there's going to be some things in this CBA that are going to catch some players by surprise. And I think we're going to hear about it over the next 10 years. There's going to be some, wait a second, we did what now? Sort of realizations, either this year or next year, especially when things like that player performance pool starts drying up. That's where some of the money to pay for the 17th game came from. It's not coming from the revenue of that game. The players gave up money to pay themselves. That was a bad deal. But if that wasn't what they were looking for, that's fine, I guess. Take a look at the stuff, read through it, because it's going to be important for stuff going on. All right. In terms of money being given to players, one of the best ways for them to get it is free agency. And the Packers were shelling out some money in free agency already this week. Let's take a look overall at what the Packers have done here. Brian Gutekunst told us exactly what he was going to do. Rob Domovsky tweeted out this quote that uh, Gutekunst gave him at the Combine last month. Quote, we're not going to be able to do what we did in unrestricted free agency like we did last year. When you look at free agency overall with salary cap casualties and different kinds of things, I think we'll be able to add some players to our roster that can help us. End quote. So Gutekunst told us the plan here. He told us, hey, we're not going to be buying top-of-market players here. We're going to be sorting through kind of the scrap heap. Guys who are late to free agency, guys who get released by their team only shortly before the start of free agency, cap casualties. And that's exactly what both Christian Kirksey and Rick Wagner turned out to be. They're low-cost players, low-risk, essentially one-year deals if things don't go well this first year that are going to stabilize positions but not necessarily upgrade them. Neither Kirksey or Wagner are going to factor into the compensatory pick formula since they were both cut, which is good. And again, it leaves the Packers in a position where they can get out of these deals after a year, if they if they don't like what they've got going on. Let's talk about both of these guys in some relative detail, starting with Christian Kirksey. Of the two signings, I think I like this one a little bit more. And I've written a five-point breakdown on this signing at thepowersweep.com. The link to it is in your show notes. This will be not a point-by-point recap from that, but I'll be drawing from that as we discuss here. I think the primary benefit to signing Christian Kirksey is that it prevents you from overreaching in the draft. Kirksey is not fixing their linebacker situation by himself. I think even if he was completely healthy, even if he hadn't missed most of the last two seasons due to injury, the Packers would still need help for him at linebacker. Because right now, it's Kirksey, it's Oren Burks, and it's Ty Summers those three linebackers do not a linebacker core make, all right? They're still going to need some help there. But what Kirksey does is give the Packers a little bit of insulation. They don't have to go out and get a linebacker in the top end of the draft. They'll probably need a more run-oriented guy, and they definitely need a more long-term solution at linebacker than Christian Kirksey. But he does give them that little bit of insulation where they don't necessarily have to go out and get a guy at the top end of the draft. I do like what Kirksey brings to the Packers. He is, compared to what the Packers have had in the middle over the past couple years, at least among guys that have played regularly. So we're talking Blake Martinez, B.J. Goodson, Antonio Morrison, dating back further, Jake Ryan. Compared to those guys, Kirksey is a world-class athlete. It's fair to wonder if that athleticism has diminished a little bit, but just having him out there at all is an athletic upgrade for the Packers. And the fact that he can actually play, at least compared to like Oren Burks, is a big plus. So he's athletic. He's good enough to stay on the field for a thousand snaps twice in years where he was healthy. Those are two big pluses. There are some minuses, though. First and foremost among them is Kirksey's coverage skills. Now, the Packers have been looking for a coverage linebacker for quite some time now. If you remember back to when he was drafted, Blake Martinez was actually supposed to be that guy. The thinking at the time was Jake Ryan is the run-stopping linebacker. Blake Martinez is a little bit more athletic. Not a lot, but enough. He's going to come in and be able to cover tight ends down the seam, take a little pressure off Jake Ryan to do that sort of thing. That didn't work out at all. Blake Martinez did not turn out to be that kind of player. And I think it's pretty obvious why. He just wasn't the kind of athlete who really could compete in that part of the game. Kirksey is that kind of athlete. The problem is he hasn't necessarily shown that he's a great cover linebacker. In the piece at ThePowerSweep.com, I look fairly extensively at a metric from Sports Information Solution called Deserved Catch Percentage. We talked a, bit, a little bit about this last week when Kirksey was visiting. Compared to Blake Martinez, Kirksey is giving up completions at basically the same rate. Not quite as bad as Martinez, but it's close. It's in the ballpark That's not to say he's bad at coverage and there's a lot that goes into these stats and don't make your opinion based on a player based on just one stat, but the numbers there are a little bit concerning. Have the Packers really fixed the coverage part of their linebacker problem? I think it's fair to wonder yet. He is more athletic. The coverage stuff may not entirely improve fair to wonder, I think. So let's, let's consider that at best partially solved. So the Packers have upgraded their athleticism. They've maybe added a little bit to their coverage game at linebacker. What they've lost is a guy who's reliable, who's intellectual, who is a completely known commodity. Limited though some players may be, I will always argue at least a little bit in favor of the guy who is the known commodity. There's so much that goes on on a football field. I think there is value in having the guys who are known commodities, who you know exactly what you're going to get out of. And for all his faults, Blake Martinez was that kind of guy. For similar reasons, I think Geronimo Allison kept getting opportunities because that's what he was on offense too. He had a lot of limitations. There was a lot he couldn't do. There was a lot of bad stuff that he did, but you knew exactly what you were going to get out of Geronimo Allison. There was no variation in his game. Boy, you want to talk about very little variation. That is Blake Martinez. He does not change at all. He's basically the same player now that he was as a a rookie, maybe a slightly more refined version than that, but not a lot. He's not a lot different than he was early in his career, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like I said, there is some value to being a known commodity. You can plan for guys who are a known commodity. The problem is the other teams can plan for a guy who's a completely known commodity too, and sometimes you see him coming a mile away, and that was Blake Martinez. His weaknesses were exploitable because everybody knew what they were. The Packers have lost that. They've lost that institutional memory. They've lost that reliability. There are questions now where Martinez's liability or reliability was, and in some cases his liability too when you talk about his, his coverage ability. There's still some questions there. Replacing that reliability with a question mark is a risk but I think this is a relatively low risk, and I, and I endorse this signing for whatever that's worth. I think this was a good signing. I'm less convinced on Rick Wagner. Somebody asked me, a listener, Ricard asked me what I thought of the signing as soon as it happened. My first instinct was that I hated it. I have not been a big fan of him. He's fairly well known as a as a turnstile in Detroit. According to some estimates, he gave up as many as 18 sacks over the past three years in Detroit. That's a lot. I've softened from I hate this to I'm not sure it's going to work. I wouldn't say I actively hate it anymore, but I'm not sure what the Packers are really getting here. So let's talk through that a little bit. What are we getting in Rick Wagner? first and foremost, you're getting an affordable guy. Two years, $11 million. Same as Christian Kirksey. It's structured a little bit differently. Almost the same as Kirksey. Kirksey was two years, $13 million. It's it's an affordable deal. Right now, he's 13th in the league among right tackles in average annual value. That'll drop. Other players are going to get signed. This was a really affordable deal for the Packers. And like with the Kirksey deal, the Packers are in the driver's seat. They, uh, they can easily cut him with very little damage to the cap after this year if things don't work out. That's a great place to be. But there was a reason that Wagner was a free agent. And that reason is that he has struggled a little bit the last couple seasons. Really since coming over to Detroit from Baltimore, he has not been the most reliable. However, compared to Brian Bulaga, he's not necessarily that bad either our number, penalties and sacks per starter snaps, per 65 snaps, trying to think of a better name for that, paints Brian Bulaga and Rick Wagner in a pretty similar light. Last season, Brian Bulaga gave up roughly 0.61 penalties and sacks per game, per 65 snaps. Wagner was just a little bit worse than that. He was at 0.69. And in fact, other than this year, when Brian Bulaga had pretty close to a career year, Wagner's been better in that metric every season. Three of the last four years. This year, the only one, Wagner has been better than Bulaga in that metric. And I have to keep emphasizing in that number. There may be other areas where he's not quite as good, but at least in that stat... Bulaga is producing, on average, more negative plays than Rick Wagner. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, they would tell you that Wagner is maybe not quite as good a run blocker as Brian Bulaga is. But at least in the passing game, and at least in terms of producing those negative plays in the terms of, in terms of sacks and penalties, he's at least in the ballpark. But most importantly, I think Wagner brings something that Kirksey also brings to the Packers. He's a, bu- he's a buffer against draft overreach. The Packers don't have to go out and draft a tackle now at 30. They can really sit back, knowing that they've got Kirksey at linebacker, knowing that they've got Wagner at tackle, and let the draft come to them. Wagner gives the Packers options. They've got a potential starter at right tackle. They've got a potential affordable swing tackle. Those are some options. Depending what you think of Wagner, they may not necessarily be great options, but they are options. And having those options is definitely a good thing. So there's Kirksey. There's Wagner. There's the early stuff on the Packers in free agency. Where do they go from here? I think the Packers' focus now has to turn. Inward. They've got to take a look at their own free agents. And since these signings became official this afternoon, two more Packers have officially left the fold. In fact, actually, three Packers have left the fold. Blake Martinez signed with the Giants. Kyler Fackrell joined him in New York. And Brian Bulaga signed with the San Diego Chargers. That leaves the Packers with, let's see, five. Six, seven, eight, 10 free agents. And I'm probably missing a couple in there. Let's just call it 10 free agents that really matter. After the moves the Packers made, there are two guys that I would consider probably gone now as a result of those moves Jared Veld here and BJ Goodson. The Packers were reportedly in talks with Jared Veld here. Nothing super serious. They appear to have moved on from him. And signing Rick Wagner probably puts that to bed anyway. B.J. Goodson, I think the Packers are probably just cleaning house at linebacker. I think there's a case to be made for him coming back and just being that sidekick to Kirksey. But I think the Packers are probably looking for a more comprehensive overhaul at linebacker. And that would include Goodson being on the way out. There's a group of guys that were probably always going to be on the way out. Jason Spriggs, yeah, I remember him. He had to stick around all of last season because he was on injured reserve. Ryan Grant, RIP, and Geronimo Allison. I think those guys were probably always going to be gone, regardless of what the Packers did in free agency. I can't see the Packers being super eager to bring any of those three players back. Among the three, Geronimo Allison probably would have the best chance. Can't say that's a very good chance. I think there are five guys who should still be in consideration for the Packers. Let's talk all through all all five of them very quickly. First and foremost, Tremont Williams. I think he probably would be the best player of these five to bring back. I'm not sure you want to just run out and re-sign him, though. I think you wait and see, see what the market does, see what free agent cornerbacks are going for, then see if he's interested in coming back. It may end up being something close to the veteran's minimum, and if that's the case, I think you feel pretty good about that. Mercedes Lewis is probably the same deal, though I get the sense from Lewis that it's going to be the Packers or nothing. So if he's interested in coming back, I think you bring him back. Again, that's probably going to be near the veteran's minimum. Can't be much more than he had uh, last time around, so I think you probably take him back. So that's two fairly easy decisions. See where the market goes on Tremont Williams. And if it's going to be much more than the veteran's minimum, probably move on. If it's more towards the minimum, I think you bring him back. Same with Lewis. If he's interested in coming back, you could probably use the extra body there. From there, it gets a little bit more complicated. Complicated in that you might have to think about it for a second. I don't think it's complicated in the sense of, of how it really factors into the Packers' overall plans for the roster. Starting with Tyler Irvin. This is a, a situation where you maybe take him back. I, I'm not really as convinced as I was. of kind of gone back and forth on this. At first, I thought he's for sure gone. Then I kind of talked myself into maybe they bring him back. Now I'm not so sure either way. I think you can make a case either way. It kind of depends what the Packers think of Dexter Williams. I think Irvin is, is clearly a better player than Williams and you can use him in more ways. So if you're interested in keeping three running backs around, maybe you just cut bait on Williams now and just say, hey, we're going to move on with Irvin. Or you bring Irvin back on a low-end deal, maybe with just a little bit of guaranteed money, draft another running back, and say, fight it out between the three of you. Irvin, Williams, and Rookie to be named later. I don't think it breaks your running back position no matter what you do, though if they do move on from Irvin, it puts their return situation in a precarious situation again. Danny Vitale is also a free agent. Speaking of the Packers backfield, I am pretty meh on Danny Vitali at this point. I like the idea of him more than the actual player. It was frustrating the Packers couldn't seem to get him more involved last year, but that's just the way things go sometimes. So wait and see on Vitali. I think um, if it looks like he's not getting any interest anywhere else, you bring him back. I think Lafleur seems interested in having fullbacks around, so if there is value there just in the position in general, you might as well have a guy who's done it for you before in Vitali, though he's not a particularly good blocker. Maybe you use one of those enormous amount of late draft picks the Packers have to get a, an athletic fullback from some college program that uses fullbacks. Finally, Ibrahim Campbell. Turns out under the new CBA rules that his contract did not toll, meaning that he is now a free agent. I think you just move on from Ibrahim Campbell here. This strikes me as a situation where you might help Mike Pettin become a little bit better as a defensive coordinator if you take away a guy that he really likes. He leaned on Ibrahim Campbell pretty, help, help, pretty heavily at times last year, though less and less down the stretch. I think you might just want to um, move on and uh, and try to get a better version of that player somewhere either in the bargain bin in free agency or in the draft. Find a guy who can do comparable things to Ibrahim Campbell and go with that. So overall, I think the Packers got to look inward now. There's not going to be a lot of external free agent shopping going on right now, though that could change a little bit. Uh, depending on what they do with Lane Taylor here. That's probably something else the Packers should do here in the relatively near future, make a decision on Lane Taylor. There's, there's some talk going around that the Packers could be trying to move him. I'm sure they are. I am skeptical of whether or not they'll find a dance partner there. I think the the writing is on the wall, and if anybody's interested in Lane Taylor, they will probably just wait it out at this point and get him Get him on their own terms, one where they where they can just sign him for what they think he's worth and don't have to give up a draft pick or whatever to get him, and then take on the contract that is probably too rich for what he can do at this point in his career anyway. So I think that the odds of trading him are probably a little bit low, but the Packers need to make a decision here anyway, just to give themselves a little bit of flexibility. Beyond that, they should probably get the Kenny Clark deal done here sooner and later, seeing what DeForest Buckner got from the Colts, but that is a conversation for a different different day. Overall point. Look inward, Packers. Now is the time to take care of your own business now that you've shored up these two positions. So, I've got for you in this episode what do you want to see the Packers do next? Let me know in the comments wherever you find this episode. We'd love to hear from you, whether that's on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever. Reach out, keep this conversation going. And if you like what you heard today, share this podcast with somebody you think think might benefit from it. We do love to to grow our audience and that's a great way to do it. Tell a friend about the show if you think they would like it. I would very much appreciate it. Uh, As always, keeping this conversation going is how we further our mission of helping everybody become Smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. And if there's one thing to be smart about in the offseason. It's free agency. This process can cause you to do a bunch of stupid things, whether you're a football team or just a fan in general. Ask the Houston Texans how their free agency period is going. Anyway, I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll you'll see you next time on Blue 58.